Introduction, The Philosophy of Psychiatry Bill Fulford is both a psychiatrist and philosopher and takes a great interest in values and how they influence medical practice, particularly that of psychiatrists. He's the Professor of Philosophy and Mental Health at the University of Warwick, but also a member of the Faculty of Philosophy at the University of Oxford and a member of Sancross College. If I would just give a bit of background um, about the philosophy of psychiatry um, by way of uh, the sort of broader field within which this meeting is set, and then I'm going to hand over to Daniel, who's going to focus us in on the specific uh, meeting today. So this is just a bit about uh, this field of philosophy of psychiatry. And I guess for a lot of people it um, comes as a bit of a surprise to find that there's a, a, a really burgeoning field of philosophy of psychiatry uh, in an age when um, uh, the neurosciences have really finally come good. Um, this is actually um, from a few years ago from the journal The New Scientist. And, uh, it just captures for me this remarkable technology. I mean, the idea, uh, you know, um, sort of, <coughs> you know, if Plato had been able to see this, what would he have made of it? It's, it's almost the mind in action. And the idea of, 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 of a prosthesis that, that, that could be there in the brain. We have uh, colleagues like Matt Broom here who, who are working in this field. And I guess all of us, certainly in psychiatry, we've got a bit blase about this technology. It's just remarkable. I mean, it's quite astonishing, the time we're working in. So equally astonishing that over the 1990s, which... Um, oh, this is just a cartoon about... <laughs> you can imagine being a philosopher and a psychiatrist. I collect jokes about philosophers and jokes about psychiatrists. They often come together. It's, it's sort of a comment on, you know, just, just how... Why would we be bothering with philosophy in medicine? Perhaps you can see it as historians and philosophers. Why would we be bothering with philosophy in medicine when we've got these powerful tools... And why, indeed, should there be this burgeoning field? This is just a few statistics that we've now got 43 new groups. Afzal has just arrived and is leading on, on a group in, in Bangladesh. And uh, we have colleagues now in India. Um, I've highlighted the South African <coughs> among the new chairs because that's the first chair outside of Europe. Um, very important uh, bridgeheads now that we're seeing. Uh, and I'll come back to at the end of this session. Um, and a DPhil scholarship here in Oxford that has attracted some really uh, very bright uh, young scholars. The, the, the scholarship is for anybody doing uh, a philosophical topic relevant to psychiatry and the neurosciences. So it's not to do philosophy of psychiatry. Mm -hmm. And, of course, we haven't yet found a really bright student who doesn't qualify, if I could put it that way. So it's been, been a very, very exciting process to see all these new things happening. This is the journal, Philosophy, Psychiatry, Psychology, um, which was uh, predicted by referees to have six months uh, at the most. It's now in its 16th year as a quarterly international peer-reviewed journal. Uh, this is a series from Oxford here, which has uh, now, I think, 27 uh, volumes in it and a lot of exciting things coming through the pipeline. Uh, one volume recently out, again, is Matt Broom's book with Lisa Bortolotti, um, philosopher at uh, Birmingham, um, about... Uh, Psychiatrist, Cognitive Neuroscience. And this is, uh, this is a bit of self-promotion, I'm afraid. This is the Oxford textbook uh, of philosophy and psychiatry that I did with my colleague Tim Thornton at Warwick, now a professor in his own right, and George Graham, who's a professor of philosophy and psychology in the States. And we have indeed, uh, as a follow-on from this, uh, now we're at the early stages of a handbook, which are the big Bibles of philosophy. So there'll be an Oxford handbook of philosophy and psychiatry 
over the next couple of years. So why? Why philosophy of psychiatry? Well, um, there's lots of different strands of philosophy built into this subject, but I just want to draw out, uh, by way of illustration here, um, a philosopher's metaphysician, how the metaphysician contributes to psychiatry and neuroscience, the philosopher's skeptic, the philosopher's a partner in empirical research, and the philosopher as an analytic ethicist, so not just as an ethicist, which we all know about, but really analytic and particularly Oxford analytic philosophy. Look briefly then at the practical relevance of all this, again by way of giving context to the importance of what we're doing today, the growth points, which will bring us much more directly back to this, and finally today's workshop, where I'm going to hand over to, uh, to Daniel. So, um, four kinds of philosopher, and the philosopher's metaphysician, um, this is one of the few philosophers most of my psychiatry colleagues outside of the philosophy of psychiatry have heard of, Descartes, and uh, the, uh, as it were, mother of all philosophical problems, the mind-brain problem, very much to the fore in neuroscience. And his famous phrase, I think, therefore I am, uh, which uh, has uh, attracted another of these cartoons. This is a cartoon about Barclay as well as Descartes, but it's the bottom bit here, I think, therefore I am. Uh, that somehow, why would we be bothering with these weird metaphysical problems uh, when here we have these proper tools of neuroscience uh, to, get, to get on with the job, as it were? Well, actually, um, the, it takes us right to the heart of psychopathology. This is a particular um, core symptom of serious psychotic illness called thought insertion. And the definition here is from uh, one of our formalized mental state examination research tools, the essence of the symptom is that the subject experiences thoughts which are not his own intruding into his mind. So you have a thought in your head, you are thinking it, and yet at the same time you experience it as somebody else's thought. And Jonathan Glover, our colleague until recently in Oxford, um, pointed out, was the first to point out, as a philosopher of mind, this is a remarkable symptom that breaks that assumed link between first personal thoughts and ownership of thoughts that was behind Descartes, I think, therefore I am, and indeed much of the succeeding 200 years of philosophy of mind. It's a, a, a break point, if you like, something dramatic that philosophers now are interested in, but until 20 years ago had completely been unaware of. So, yes, important for philosophy, but also for the neurosciences. This is a colleague of ours in the States, Nancy Andreessen, who's one of the sort of mafia bosses, if I could put it that way, of psychiatry and neuroscience. She was an English scholar before she went into medicine, extremely uh, able person, and she's now one of the leaders of the new neurosciences, uh, who has written two or three books just um, setting out for, 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 as an agenda the importance of the links between philosophy and psychiatry and how the neurosciences are driving traditional philosophical problems to the top of our agenda. <coughs> Other end of the scale, the philosopher is sceptic. Um, well, of course, we have Socrates as the gadfly of Athens, and we have our gadflies in psychiatry. This is Thomas Saz. I'm sure many of you will have heard of his name. He's a uh, great rhetorician who, uh, as a very young man, got his full tenure at Syracuse University and within about six weeks published a book as a professor of psychiatry on the myth of mental illness, and he's gone on from strength to strength. He's now in his 80s, and indeed he's coming to the UK uh, to a conference of the International Network in uh, Manchester in June, where he'll be uh, presenting, I'm sure, with his, his as ever youthful vigour. And he's got a point. Um, this is uh, a book, again, by a colleague of ours, Sidney Block, when he was in Oxford, he's now back in Australia, about 
the abuse of psychiatry in the former USSR. We're getting now a bit closer to our agenda today. What does it mean to say that somebody has a mental illness? What does it mean to say that they are mad? And in the Soviet Union, one of the things that meant you were mad was that you had delusions of reformism. <laughs> now, let me warn you, I hear, as ever, <coughs> rightly, a sort of, perhaps, a, a bit of a giggle at the Soviets, but actually, I went through with a Russian colleague the literature from the, that period, this is about 60s, 70s, 80s, and compared it with the literature from Britain and America on delusions at the time, and they are identical. And this is a warning for us. What seems like a, a, almost a ridiculous extension of the idea of madness in the Soviet Union was seen as core agenda and indeed backed by the neuroscience of the day in the work of a pathologist, I.V. Davidovsky, and a whole model of brain disorder standing behind these delusions of reformism. So we should be conscious of that. And we, a, a current counterpart is that the psychiatry's big uh, classifications are currently going through a uh, review. This is, um, again, from the New Scientist, but a contemporary uh, issue. And madness on trial. What this scientific journal is saying, these psychiatrists are in a complete mess. They, they, they're arguing about, you know, what is schizophrenia? Should we have um, uh, this disorder in? We can't have that disorder. Their science is in a mess, right? So we've got something serious to look at here, which is conceptual rather than just empirical. And that brings us to the philosopher as a partner in research, and three varieties of that, the hybrid philosopher-psychiatrist, the partnership philosopher and psychiatrist working together, and then getting right down to combined methods. And perhaps the father of philosophy of psychiatry, Carl Jaspers, 100 years ago, although that, that picture is Jaspers in his 80s, as people remember him, and he is the author of this general psychopathology, which is the um, foundation of uh, the way in which we describe symptoms and signs, delusions and so on today. And uh, this is a more recent translation of general psychopathology. And it's the product of somebody who was primarily, by training a medic, did neuroscientific research at the time, and uh, then went into philosophy originally because he was, uh, as a young man, said to be rather frail, but he indeed lived uh, into his 80s. Uh, and uh, he, uh, he wrote this book and then actually became a philosopher more than a medic. And it went through a number of editions. It wasn't that grey hair who wrote that book. This is um, uh, a picture of Jaspers uh, in about 1913, which is when General Psychopathology came out. This is hanging on the wall in the library in the University of Heidelberg Psychiatry Department where Jaspers worked and then became a professor. And to me, it's very dramatic. This is a lean, keen, sharp, young scholar. It's not that sort of popular image of the philosopher as a grey-haired, benign-looking old character. I'm not I haven't found many benign philosophers, but uh, certainly not in Oxford. But it's, there's, none of that, there's none of that sort of fluffiness about it. This is a sharp guy, and this is where I believe the action is at. This is the philosopher's cartridge hybrid. Um, crucial to us in... Um, what is becoming known now as psychiatry's second biological phase. Jaspers was working at a time like our own when there was a huge explosion in the neurosciences. This was a time of differential staining, discovery of neurosyphilis and so on. So continuing today with Jaspers' theme, which is about bringing together how you understand <coughs> mental disorder scientifically through causal processes with how you understand it as person to person, 
the understanding of meaning. And that indeed is the theme of the launch volume for the Oxford series, Nature and Narrative, Causes, Meanings, bringing us back again to what we're struggling with today. The philosopher psychiatrist um, partnership. Um, uh, the chap on the right, does anybody recognise him? I mean, he, he's not another Don from the Mafia. He's, <laughs> he's actually Carl Hempel with his preferred picture. Um, and <laughs> Carl Hempel was, was a philosopher of science, the last, I guess, of the great uh, positivists. He was a, uh, a logical positivist. He worked on the language of science. And the chap on the uh, left there is Aubrey Lewis, who became Sir Aubrey Lewis, who was one of the people who put psychiatry on an empirical footing. He essentially is the founder of the Maudsley School. And the importance of that partnership, and this isn't widely known, is that it was the bringing together of their two areas of expertise that actually was the key step in developing our current classifications of um, mental disorder. These classifications, they're still under attack, but at least they're a step forward. Uh, it's a bit technical, but they're a step forward in terms of the reliability of the symptoms on which these disease categories are based. It's the categories that are still causing problems, but at least the individual symptoms, we know their reliability. And that goes back to this, the work of these two taken together. Um, so again, important in an age of the neurosciences, and the significance of that kind of partnership, of course, is very much emerging again now. And this, I mentioned Matt's Broom book with uh, Lisa earlier. And finally, combined methods. And this now will, we've looked at a bit of psychology, We've looked at um, the classification of disorder right now into the concept of disorder, where we're at today. What is madness? And here, um, an example of contemporary work is from uh, building on the work of uh, uh, J.L. Austin, um, his notion of philosophical field work, where philosophers get out into the field and actually look at how concepts are used. And we combine that, as Austin had anticipated, or though he, as you may know, died relatively young. He never did this work. But we combine that with social science methods. Um, Tony Colombo, um, Jill Bendler, and Simon Williams are all in the social sciences. And we brought this methodology together uh, to look at um, the way concepts of disorder are used in the field by teens actually working uh, in, in the community. And I won't go into that in detail, but essentially it drew out, as Austin would have anticipated, into the foreground um, things that were implicit in the way we understood disorder in that context. And that led through, together with some work that uh, came from another strand of Oxford philosophy, into some of the practical relevance uh, for this work through... Um, anybody taught by R.M. Hare here? He definitely wasn't uh, a fluffy, <laughs> easy game <laughs> character, but he was a brilliant teacher, and indeed uh, I, taught me, and I developed some of Hare's ideas in this book, uh, into this concept of values-based practice, uh, which is very much a skills-based approach to working with complex and conflicting values that has come straight out of this tradition of philosophy of psychiatry. Uh, these are a number of the Department of Health programmes that this has contributed to, and this is taking that work forward from mental health into other areas of medicine. This is work that we're developing at Warwick Medical School. So practical relevance we've got there in a way, um, well, the key point is that the whole of this movement in a new philosophy of psychiatry has been developed very much as an interplay with practice. Uh, Martin Davis, who's the, um, uh, the uh, chair of the philosophy faculty here at the moment, um, works on delusion and is working with me on the handbook. 
Um, he's the one who's saying to me, this philosophy handbook, it's crucial that we have built into it practitioners, service users, neuroscientists, so that we get, in broad sense, so that we get the science right. He as a philosopher sees the excitement of that, that we're tapping into that. Remember, thought insertion is just one example of this. So an active interplay with practice, and this runs right through with the philosopher as metaphysician. We've seen the relevance there to directly to the neurosciences as skeptic on concepts of disorder, Tom Sars, as a partner in research in all three areas, psychopathology, classification, and the clinical teams, and as ethicist, this uh, skills-based approach of values-based practice. So we've gone a long way in 20 years, but what are the growth points? Well, it's um, summed up um, through this active interplay with practice here. Um, all this work has come out of essentially the European, North American tradition of philosophy. Right. And there's 75% of the world play to go. Right. And this is why I'm so delighted that Afsal and our other colleagues are here today, and indeed where we get to the core of what is so exciting about this meeting. If we can do all that with 25% of the resources at work, where could we get to if it can become genuinely uh, an international uh, movement? Um, I did want to add some, some red here, and I couldn't manage it. I, didn't, I, I just couldn't work out how to do it. But since doing this map, which was done for me by somebody else, we should have red here because the Indian subcontinent is clearly an area where there is already some exciting things developing, and indeed in South Africa, as I mentioned, with the new chair there. So it's beginning. We're on that new wave, and uh, there, is, there is everything to play for there. And that brings us to today's workshop, which I'm going to hand over to Daniel for, that we've brought together this fantastic group, and again, congratulations to Daniel for his tremendous work in achieving this. And we have three specific objectives to explore the history of understanding madness in this particular context of focusing down on the court of Saladin. Through interdisciplinary discourse, um, we're anticipating that there will be considerable development of ideas today, and we hope from that that there will then be established a group that could be the basis of a larger meeting that we would uh, advertise more publicly and, 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 and bring a larger group together um, uh, a bit down the line. So here we are, and it's an exciting meeting, and at a time when understanding madness has never been more important. Thank you very much. I'll hand over to Daniel. Oh, I always put in my Star Trek, because we're boldly going where no man's gone before. So.